We're going to be in Psalm chapter 123 this morning. Uh, and so if you would stand, uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, as, as always, we strongly encourage you to follow along uh, in, in a copy of God's Word. If you don't have one, uh, there's one there in the seat in front of you or below you. Um, and, the, and the text that we're in today, Psalm chapter 123, um, is on page 517. So our brother Chris is going to uh, read our text for us. And uh, again, we're in Psalm 123. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in, in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid's servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. This is God's word. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that uh, the, the grass withers and the flower fades, um, that your word stands forever, um, that your word for us is a, uh, a deep, rich, abiding source of truth, um, of, of hope. Um, Lord, of, of uh, telling us about who you are um, and telling, it, telling us about, uh, most importantly, your son Jesus, um, who has come uh, to live a, a perfectly righteous life. Um, though, though he died, um, he rose again um, and ascended to heaven and even to this day is, is in heaven. Um, and, and, here, and, and as your word says, and his presence is here among us um, as your people. Um, and so we thank you for that. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Uh, so, Lord, we know that it is the, the, uh, the role and the description of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to convict. Um, and, and so, Lord, this morning, even as, as we are uh, believers and we are secure um, in you, um, we know that uh, part of your um, will for us and part of your ministry to us um, is allowing your word to speak um, to areas uh, where... Um, that, that cause us to have a, a deeper gratitude for who you are, uh, Lord, that, that may oftentimes call us to repent um, of those things um, that, that beset us. Uh, but, but Lord, also, again, we are reminded continually of the hope that we have in Christ um, now and for all of eternity. Uh, we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Welcome. Good to see you. You can have a, you can have a seat now. We're here in Psalm chapter 123 um, as we walk through uh, the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, the 15 Psalms of Ascent, 120 through 134, um, and we are working our way through them. And so, like we said when we opened up uh, this, this summer series on the Psalms, um, and, and I hope that you'll... Uh, that just made me laugh, Paxton. I saw you sitting there by Bo. Oh, man, you got kicked out of his row, but you found a home with my family, so that's good. Um, as, as we opened up with this Psalm, and I think if we're just honest with ourselves... Um, the, 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 we, have, we have a little bit of a, of a complicated relationship with the Psalms, right? Um, many of the Psalms are a challenge for us uh, to really relate with. Um, and so I, I, I was honest, and I hope you'd be honest enough uh, to, to say that a complicated relationship with the Psalms is not that uncommon. I have heard people flat out say, I don't like the Psalms. 
Um, and, and remember, I was there at one point, um, and then the Lord sanctified me a little bit. Um, and namely, like I talked to you about through COVID, really drove me into the Psalms. Um, and be, uh, I gained a deep love and appreciation for the Psalms. And so in light of this complicated relationship that we often have with the Psalms of exactly how do they relate with me and, and, and what can I learn here in these Psalms, um, I offered for us three lens. Um, through which to, to read the Psalms that I think will help us understand and appreciate the Psalms more deeply. And so I'm going to just go through those real quickly. The first lens that will be helpful for us as we read the Psalms is a Christ-centered lens. Um, we unapologetically believe um, that, the, that the, the one single grand story of Scripture points to Christ, that Christ is the great hero of the Scriptures. Um, and so there is not a page on which we read in the Old Testament nor the New Testament that in some way points us to our great Redeemer, to our great Savior. Um, and so we read the Psalms through a Christ-centered lens, namely how has Christ perfectly fulfilled them, namely how do these explicitly point to Christ. You remember that great scene in Acts chapter 2 with Peter on the day of Pentecost where he quotes the Psalms, Psalm chapter 16, and David in Psalm 16 talks about um, that you will not let my body see corruption, and yet Peter says, but David's in the grave. David's still in the grave, and so what David appeals to the crowd is that, hey, this Psalm right here was pointing to Christ. Christ is the one whose body would not see decay because he would die, and three days later he'd raise from the dead. And so reading the Psalms through a Christ-centered lens is very helpful and can be very good. We also read the Psalms through a covenantal or a corporate lens. We're going to see that a lot today. Um, the Psalms are not primarily for our own personal story, our own personal devotion. Um, they are to be read through and understood through the lens of God's covenant with a people that God has covenanted himself to a people, God has delivered a people, God is forming for himself a people. First Peter talks about the, that Christians are a royal priesthood, a, a nation, a, a, a people. And so that's how we understand that. But then we read them through the lens of God's character. All the Psalms point to some deep facet of the character of who God is. We're going to see that especially today. And then Psalm 123 today, this is, this is, a, this is a challenging Psalm, but I think it's a really timely psalm because as I said, sometimes we don't see exactly how they relate with us, but Psalm 123 is a psalm that if we understand it, that if we understand it, we will see that it relates really well with our times and with our experience. Um, now, I'm not saying it's just like we, we just kind of cherry pick out. That's not at all what we do because there are psalms throughout these psalms of ascent that will be really challenging to understand. But if we understand Psalm 123, we will see that in a really gracious way, God gives us this psalm because it relates really well with our time. Here's, here's the thing about this psalm. Here's one of the reasons why it relates well with us because it doesn't speak of that intense suffering nor that extraordinary innocence that many of the psalms contain. Remember, we talked a few weeks ago about how some of the psalms refer to some sort of extraordinary innocence of the psalmist, that there is no impure way within me. And I, and I think, well, man, that's not me, because there's a lot of impure ways within me. There's a lot of guilt within me. There's a lot of sin that remains in me. But this psalm neither talks about intense suffering of someone's life being in danger, nor extraordinary innocence that's hard for us to relate with. Rather, it deals with the people of God dealing with contempt, dealing with contempt. And so Psalm 123 shows us, church, I want you to hear this, Psalm 123 shows us 
how the faithful deal with contempt. If you're taking notes, if you've got your journal, your scripture journal, if you don't have a scripture journal, we've got some more copies of that in the back. They are free. Um, they are a very good resource for you. But this is what you need to know, that Psalm 123, just on a base level, shows how the faithful, how the faithful of God deal with contempt. Church, if you haven't noticed, those who desire to follow Jesus and to live faithful to his calling are targets of the contempt of this world. Those who desire to follow Jesus, those who, des- who desire to live according to his way and his will, are targets and will experience all kinds of contempt in this world. This is very important for us to know. This is important for us to understand that Psalm 123 is the testimony of a faithful people living under contempt, living under uh, adversity, living under objection. And so this psalm is not about, you don't see physical suffering. You don't see the deep exilic experiences that are often spoken of in the psalms. Rather, you see the impact that scorn and contempt have on the soul of the faithful. And I don't know about you, but sometimes the scorn and the contempt towards the faithful in this world can be very overwhelming and discouraging. It's everywhere. Literally, it's everywhere right now. It's, it's, it's hanging up everywhere on flagpoles and things like that. It's hanging up everywhere that if we desire to live a faithful and godly life according to the design of God, there will be scorn and there will be contempt. And so let me just kind of, let me kind of identify this for us real quick. I don't want to lose anybody. I'm not going to be hateful in what I'm about to say, but we live in a secular society that has adopted the idea that it is possible to function coherently without reference to God. I mean, that's just, that's just the truth. Like, we, we live in a society. I'm not trying, you know me, I'm not like a chicken little, sky is falling type guy. I'm just wanting to, to helpfully identify for us some things that may help this psalm relate with us well today. That we live in a society that is, that is blatantly secular, that, that, that believes that it is possible to function coherently without reference to who God is, namely a society that champions human rights but has no idea how to define what a human is, namely that we, we live in a society that dismembers and mutilates human beings and seeks to abolish the foundations of the family and human flourishing. And this is where I want us to see that any kind of coherent or convictional stand on this will immediately make you the target of ruthless contempt. That any kind, like, listen, like, most of you are not out there just, like, holding banners and and making Facebook posts, which, you know, if that's your thing, go for it. But we're just talking about a baseline, coherent argument about what humanity is, about what human flourishing looks like. That if you make a convictional, coherent stand on those foundational, timeless truths— you, as a Christian, as, as someone who follows Jesus and his design, will be the target of the contempt of the world. And we've, we've got to embrace that in one way, that yes, Jesus even promises that those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. That those who desire, you know, it's, it's, it's been fun in years past to kind of compare war stories about suffering, right? I remember like 
several years ago, even, even myself kind of adopting this idea, well, you're not being persecuted, just look at the persecuted church over there. Can I, just, can I just tell you that the persecution that is happening in the most extreme of forms in, in desolate places of the world and the kind of persecutions that, that, that Christians face today may not be the same, but it comes from the same source, right? It comes from the, the liar, the, decept, the, the Satan who is a liar, the, the one who deceives people. And so James, by the way, will, will support this. James will show us in the book of James chapter one. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of what? Various kinds. That means that, yes, though my, though my suffering, though my persecution, though the things that I am facing may not be as physically harmful, that, that James says there are various kinds of trials that God is allowing in your life to make you more and more like him. And, and yes, are there war stories that differ? Absolutely. But they all come from the same source, the one who is ruling this world temporally, who is the liar and who is the great deceiver. And so here's what I want us to see. There's the tension. Everybody's feeling a little on edge right now, right? You're like, where are you going? You about to start yelling? I'm not about to start yelling. I'm just trying to want, to, want us to identify some things because it's going to lead us, there's the tension, it's going to lead us to what the psalm shows us about what we said earlier, how the faithful deal with contempt. How the faithful deal with contempt. And so this psalm shows us that living faithfully in the midst of contempt is possible. You hear that? So right now, we're all worked up. We all, we all feel like, 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 maybe you're like, man, I, like, yeah, I, I feel really worked up. What this psalm shows us is that living faithfully in the midst of contempt is possible. And some of us need to hear that this morning. Some of us need to hear that it's possible to live faithfully while dealing with contempt. This psalm shows us that the scorn that believers deal with is not unprecedented. And we are not without direction in the midst of contempt. That's what the Bible will be very open and honest about. That your contempt that you face that the struggle that you face, that the suffering that you face is not unprecedented. Believers in America in 2023 are not the first people in all of history to be dealing with contemptuous times. And that's a, that's a really comforting reality, right? Because right now, I don't know about you, there's some days where I feel like, man, like this whole, this, the, the, the people of God, like we're just going under. And can I just tell you, no, we're not. We've got the great, and, and, and magnificent promises of the resurrected Savior who tells us that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can I just tell you, the gates of hell are trying, aren't they? But the, the word tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail. Man, what a glorious truth, right? And so, again, this psalm shows us, church family, here we go. It shows us that living faithfully in times of contempt is possible. And it shows us how. And we're going to look at some ways how. It says in verse 1 that we have a God who is enthroned in the heavens. <laughs> you hear that? That, that, God, that, that? that God exists in real time and space, but not here in temporal spaces, but in the heavens. It says that he is, he is in the heavens. The God who the psalmist lifts his eyes to in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? The God who the psalmist lifts his eyes to in Psalm 121 is seated in the psalms, uh, is seated in this psalm in the heavens. 
And so believers face two dangers. Here's, here's two more little identifiers for us. We got to kind of, I think it's really important for us to identify where the, where the swaying happens when we face this contempt. And so let me, let me give you two, two uh, dangers that we face when contempt occurs. First is we just, we just give in and we adopt the views of the world, right? Have you ever felt that? You're like, okay, I'll just, I'll just give in. Now, a second danger is becoming deeply resentful or withdrawn, maybe even sometimes coming out at God. Remember, Psalm 73 talks about, uh, the, 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 we're going to read that in just a little bit, but the psalmist in Psalm 73 says, I was brutish and arrogant towards you. I was brutish and arrogant towards you. And it wasn't until the, he was in the presence of God where things began to make sense. And so oftentimes when we face contempt believers, we adopt the views of the world or we become deeply resentful or withdrawn. But guess what? Psalm 123 tells us that those are not our only two options. Psalm 123 tells us that there's a, a third option or maybe the first option when we face contempt. And so here's what I want us to see. This psalm, here's, our, here's our three points, all right? That this psalm shows us our confidence in the midst of contempt, service in the midst of contempt, and our dependence in the midst of contempt. Those are the three key words, confidence, service, dependence, all right? Let's look at confidence, verse 1. Where is our confidence in the midst of contempt? Well, Psalm 123, verse 1 says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Let me, let me ask you a question. And this is, I don't know, if you want to shout it at me, that's fine. Um, you don't have to, but just kind of think about it. Where are you most likely to turn when dealing with hardship? Where, where like, when, when, when contempt or when trials or when suffering comes, what's, what's, like, this should be a pretty easy question to answer if you'll be honest with yourself. Where is the, 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 the initial place in that moment that you turn? For the psalmist, he tells us that when contempt comes, by the way, we, we see that this psalm is about the contempt that he's facing down in verses three and four, which Chris has already read for us. But for the psalmist, he exemplifies for us that any response to hardship less than prayer to God enthroned in the heavens is an improper response. Let me say that again. Any response to contempt or suffering, or trial, or hardship, less than prayer is insufficient. It's improper. And so for, for many of us, when we face these things, the first thing that we do is we just go read more news, right? Or we, we talk to people about it before we take it to the Lord. And what the psalmist shows us, that the, that the only proper, immediate response to these times in, in verse 1 is that his eyes would be lifted up that his eyes would be lifted up to you, to God who is enthroned in the heavens. I heard someone say one time that prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. Prayer is the battle. So we feel the reality of that, the, 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 the battle, the, the, the hardship of, of prayer. We feel the reality of that no more than we, when we are facing deep hardship because we don't feel like prayer is our most important lifeline. We, we, we feel that other things are because it's in these times that we can think of a hundred other solutions to getting out of the situation that we are in, and prayer isn't often one of those solutions, that we take it to the Lord in prayer. And, and so what this psalm tells us is that we call out to a God 
not seated in a chair with term limits, but rather a God who is, but a God with heavenly enthronement, who will never be shaken. Like there's a there's a sense of that that just it ought to get you a little bit fired up, man. That we don't serve a God who has any kind of limitation, or nor will he be dethroned, but he has heavenly enthronement. And by the way, when the psalmist says that, this is not just about the locale of God, that God's just up in heaven. He's not just talking about his location. You know what he's referring to, right? He's referring to his power. He's, he's referring to his power. And so let, let me kind of give an example that hopefully won't distract you too much. But when we talk about the White House, right? We talk about, we talk about um, the White House. And oftentimes the, the White House is this symbol of, of power that oftentimes we don't say, you know, the president said this. We say, well, here's a statement from the White House. The White House didn't say anything, right? The, the, the people did. But the White House refers to this place of prominence and this place of, of power. And, and, and what the psalmist does over and over again in the psalms and what the Bible will do over and over again is refer to the heavens, not simply as a geographical location, but a seat of power that has no rival, that has no equal. There are no rivaling nations. There's no neighboring nations that, have any, that, that, that pose any danger to the throne of heaven. But the psalmist is proclaiming not primarily where God is geographically, but who God is eternally. That's what the psalmist is saying. He is saying that this is a God who will not be mocked. He is saying this is a God who will right all wrongs and who is infinitely merciful, but as in Exodus will also say, but will, no by, will by no means clear the guilty on the day of judgment. So the scorn of the faithful may be painful and trying for us, but the fact that God sits enthroned in the heavens ought to give us a deep peace, and if we can kind of be human for a minute, a subtle chuckle at the inevitability of Satan's future, Right? Where, where God will cast that devil into the pit forever. There will be no more deception. There will be no more lies. There will be no more death, no more, no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more sickness. And there is a day that we look forward to when God has promised that that's what he'll do, give us. And so, for, so, yeah, first we see confidence. Where's our confidence in the midst of contempt? Well, it's that we have a God in the heavens. Secondly, uh, the, the, the second um, mark of how to deal faithfully with contempt, this is a little bit more on the ground, is service. Look what verses two, look what, look, look what two, uh, verse two says. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Church family, we are utterly dependent upon God in the midst of contempt. We're utterly dependent upon him because, again, he is the God of truth. He is the God who will right all wrongs. And, and, and here's what we need to see, church family. This is, this is very important, too. There's a reason why the psalmist is facing what he's facing. Can I tell you why? It doesn't say, but can I tell you, can I tell you what, we, what we ought to deduct from this? There's a reason why the psalmist is facing what he is, and it's because his life is given in service to God, because he is committed to God, that he is committed to obedience, to faithfulness to God. He is faithful to God, and he is obedient in his ways. Therefore, he receives contempt from evildoers. 
The, the evildoers look at him and they see that, that he is someone worth pouring their contempt out. This is not arbitrary or senseless suffering, but suffering as a result of the faithful living of the believer in the land of death. And so, look, there's an inevitability to the contempt that you face, Christian. Can I just say that again? Like, we're, hopefully you don't come here and we kind of just tell you that, you know, if you just, like, give more money or have more faith, that you can do bigger, better things and that God will protect you in the name of Jesus, right? No, 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 that's not, that's not the truth, at least in that way. What, what we hope that you come here with is that we have a deep and abiding hope in a God who is enthroned in the heavens. And Christian, if you desire to live a godly and faithful life, you will experience contempt. If we could summarize verse 2, it would simply be that we can face contempt because Christ is Lord, that Jesus is Lord. There's, if, if Jesus is Lord, that means no one else is. <laughs> simply put, if Jesus is Lord, nobody else is. Those who are the, the suspects of contempt, they're not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And, and then we see, as, as we talk about this service to God, that we have given our lives in service to God, that the Bible is clear and consistent on the servanthood of Christ, right? The Bible talks about that Christ is a servant. Amen? Christ is, Christ is a servant. In fact, Isaiah prophesies about Christ being a suffering servant. So Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies about it. Jesus himself refers to himself as a servant. Jesus says, I'm a servant. And then Paul later breaks out in song in Philippians about Jesus being a servant. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. You're not going to be able to follow along with this, but I want, to, I want you to see where um, this comes from. There is a, there is a version of the Bible that uh, a, a Hebrew and Greek scholar wrote um, that, that kind of when, when there were poetic instances in the scriptures, he really recognized that. And so in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, it's a, a beautiful passage, and we want to read this about the servanthood of Christ. And I just want to read this in poetic form that it is believed by those who are Greek scholars that you won't see, you won't see this in, in probably your copy, but it is believed by most scholars that when Paul wrote this section, it was, it was, a, it was a, a, he broke out in song. That this is, this is, this is Paul busting out in, in, in pure doxology about Christ. And, and this, is, this is what uh, the, the International Standard version, version says. And it's beautiful. In God's own form existed he, and shared with God equality, deemed nothing needed grasping. Instead, poured out an emptiness, a servant's form did he possess, a mortal man becoming. In human form he chose to be, and lived in all humility, death on a cross obeying. Now lifted up by God to heaven, a name above all others given, this matchless name possessing. And so when Jesus' name is called, the knees of everyone should fall wherever they're residing. Then every tongue in one accord will say that Jesus the Messiah is Lord, while God the Father praising. So there is a deep biblical reality that Christ is our, a servant of man, that he came to serve. Ultimately, he came to serve his heavenly Father. But it is equally true, church, and this is something that maybe we don't talk about enough. What, what, what the text in 123 shows us, that Christ is our servant, but also we are servants of God, Right? We are servants of God. In fact, this is the area where many of us get into trouble when dealing with hardship because we think that God exists only to serve and to protect us, right? 
We, we, we kind of have this mentality that, God, I have been good to you. Why in the world would you allow this to befall me? I have served you. I, you, have called, you have called yourself my servant. And how many times have we treated God as such, as one who is meant only to, tr- to serve us? When we think that God exists to serve and protect us, we often grow resentful and many even turn their backs on him because God did not live up to the expectation that I had on him, that God did not live up to what I had poured into my relationship with him, and now he has drastically let me down. And what this psalm says is that not only do we serve God leading up to moments of contempt, but in the midst of contempt, we view ourselves as servants of God. We view ourselves as servants of him. It says, the eyes, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord till he has mercy on us. Don't allow, church family, do not allow contempt from the world to allow bitterness towards God to fester. Let me, let me say that again, because I, I think we need, to, we need to hear that. Do not allow the contempt that we face in this world to allow bitterness towards God to fester. Can I tell you how easy and how subtle that bitterness towards God becomes? Man, it's, it's very subtle. Uh, some of our, our small group leaders are walking through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book um, on community called Life Together. Um, and it just, it just talks, it talks about so much, but it talks about the subtleties of, of what ultimately leads in bitterness towards God. One of those is, is our, our vision of community, what community ought to be, what the church ought to be. Now, the Bible certainly tells us what the church is called to be in the world, right? And how we're called to interact with one another. But, it also, but Bonhoeffer talks about the subtlety of coming into a community of people with this visionary dream of what, how my brother and my sister ought to act. You ought to be better at this. You ought to be better at this. And what he talks about is that we subtly, we subtly move from bitterness towards one another. Ultimately, that leads towards bitterness towards ourself and ultimately bitterness towards God. And what we need to realize is how subtle we can become bitter, how subtle it is to become bitter towards our God. But in the midst of contempt, the psalmist shows us our lives are given in service to him. Our lives are given in service to him. This is way different from the world's perspective, right? Um, that if, that if, if, if you don't give me what I think I deserve, I can just kind of push you to the side. And what the psalmist shows us that living faithfully in the midst of contempt is a life given in service to God. And then thirdly, we see um, our dependence in the midst of contempt. Verse verse 3 and 4. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. We talked about prayer a little bit already, but here's another example of, uh, of prayer to the Lord in the midst of contempt. And, and, and what the Psalms will tell us and show us over and over again, what Christ himself will sh- model for us in prayer is that prayer is dependence, right? Prayer is dependence upon God. In fact, we are no more susceptible to self-sufficiency than when we don't pray. 
Your, your most vulnerable time to self-sufficiency of great despair is when we fail to pray. And, and that's what this psalmist shows us. As we see in Psalm 123, prayer is often simply calling upon God to do what he has, always, what he has already promised to do. You see that, right? That, that, that we're calling upon God to do what he's already promised and to do what he's done before. Have mercy on us, O oh God. It's not like we're just putting up a prayer. You, you kind of know that, kind of know that, that phrase, put, put up a prayer, putting up a prayer. No, this is prayer, godly prayer is calling upon God to be who he is, to do what he has promised to do, and to do what he has done before, mainly to show mercy towards us. It's important to know that as God is enthroned in the heavens and rules from this high place, God, listen, God only, only, you hear that? I mean that literally. God only always operates towards believers from a place of grace. God only operates towards believers from a place of grace. Maybe you don't believe that. I can, I can support it with the scriptures. We won't, we won't go into all that right now. There's, there's a couple of places that reinforce that for us, but there is believer, Christian, there is never a time in your life where God's dealing with you is not birthed from a place of grace. The goodness of God towards you is what? His grace towards you. God's, what the scriptures will say, God's reproof, God's correction in your life is from what place? grace, not from anger, not from, I'm fed up with you people, not from, not from man, if, if I could just go back to, to that day when I saved you, man, I'd think that over again. No, God only always operates towards you from a place of grace. Um, Proverbs 3.12, let's, let's turn there real quick. We won't, we won't go into too many scriptures here. We're going to go to Proverbs 3, 12, 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, as, as a father the son in whom he delights. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Hebrews 12, verse 6 is a, is a reciting of Proverbs 3. Let's just read verse 3 through 6, or, or through 7 even. I don't know. We may just go like through the rest of the end of the Bible. I don't know. Uh, Consider him, Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Hey, there's a lot packed in that verse, right? As we're talking about contempt, as we're talking about hostility and suffering, the writer of Hebrews says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure." God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? God operates 
because we are dependent upon Him, God operates only and always from a place of grace towards us as believers. Hey, that's, that's why we say a lot that, hey, believers, we can rejoice because one day when we stand before God, we stand before God as sons and daughters. We stand before God as a father. Hey, I want to say this again. Christians, we are not in the place of those who refuse to believe in who God is, who will one day stand before God as their judge. Man, I'm grateful and it is only by the grace of God that one day when I stand before God, as I enter into eternity, that I will stand before God as my father. And church, you are blessed because God is your father. And as Hebrews tells us, you are his sons and his daughters. So God's faithfulness, this is, this is, a, this is a deep reality that I had to like think about several times before I just wrote it out. But God's faithfulness and commitment to you, believer, is as secure as God's faithfulness to Christ. You hear that? Maybe you've never heard someone say that. But God's commitment to you, God's faithfulness to you, Christian, is as secure as God's faithfulness and commitment to his son, Jesus. You are in no graver danger of falling through the cracks of God's faithfulness than Christ is. Man, isn't that a mind-blowing reality? That, that God's faithfulness and God's love towards us is as deep and as rich and as secure and as eternal as the love that the Father has for Jesus Christ. That's, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand that, but it's true. Let's, let's close in reading Psalm 73. I think Psalm 73 is a, a, uh, a really good commentary on Psalm 123. Um, maybe, it's, maybe Psalm 123 is a good Cliff Notes version of Psalm 73. I don't know. However you want to view that. But, the, but the, the commentary of the Bible on itself is really good. Let's read uh, Psalm 73. It, if, if you would, if you're able, let's stand as we read this. When we, when we conclude this, we'll, we'll pray. And, and, and see how maybe this psalm relates to Psalm 123, how there's components of, of, the, of the contempt and of the experience of the faithful in this psalm and the resolution that is brought um, in the end. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children." 
but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire, desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Would you read that with me, verse 26? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Read this with me, verse 28. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Hey, this is a psalm about a psalmist who almost perishes in despair, right? He says, it it just didn't make sense. I dealt with so much contempt, but there was a place that became a clarifying effect for me, and that was in the presence of God. I almost wasted away to nothing. But for me, it is good to be near God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning in your word. Thank you for the great hope that it promises. Thank you for the great confidence that it promises. Lord, would you, would you help us? I trust that your spirit, Lord, will speak to, to the hearts of those here this morning. But would you help us not to grow bitter and indifferent towards a lost world around us. We know that the contempt that we face, the contempt that we receive from others, what your word tells us is that before you saved us by your mercy, that we were in the same place as them, that we were contemptuous towards others, that we were brutish towards you, we were ignorant towards you, but Ephesians 2 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive. And so, Lord, it is only by your mercy um, that we are, that we, though we may be recipients of great contempt from the world, that even more magnificently we are great recipients of your mercy to us through Christ. And so, Lord, would you help us not, uh, not grow weary? Would you help us to not grow bitter Uh, towards those who may often throw contempt our way. But Lord, would you give us a heart and a readiness to speak the truth, to do so in love, to do so in confidence, to do so with the awareness that we have a God enthroned in the heavens. And we pray that you would give us great confidence in this this morning. We praise things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.